0: Everyone and Welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. And this week we are joined by a very special guest, the author of Queens of Innisleer, Strange Grace, Nightshine, uh, an author of fantasy that is sexy, lush, and weird, Tessa Grattan.
1: We are so excited for you to be here, Tess. I am so happy to be here the shenanigans there'll be no regrets yeah.
2: I look above. forward to the shenanigans also I'm very excited to have my books called weird because that's what I call them to myself mm-hmm. so I I'm I'm happy for the public recognition of the weirdness of my book good uh but don't never forget
0: that sexy is also a part of them yes, yes.
1: sexy they, weird
0: Sexy weird good, I love it
1: it's a good descriptor <laughs> And one of the reasons we wanted you to come to the podcast is because you are just the best, one of the best world builders in the business. And I wanted to talk about two particular things that are sort of bothering me in the fantasies that I'm reading, the fantasy that has made it to the small screen and the big screen. And that is both how we create sort of fully, I'm going to use the term sort of racialized worlds, meaning having distinct cultures and races and ethnicities and having that being meaningful in secondary world and in futuristic landscapes. And then also queering fantasy, queering the future, queering all of these other worlds. And I just feel like we're going to do a deep dive that's going to teach, I think, a lot of writers who are trying to do this in their worlds yeah. quite a bit. This is my favorite topic, so I'm happy to dig into it. Okay, perfect. So, first, we're going to start with race and ethnicity in fantasy worlds because something that has been aggravating me that I'm always complaining about, and it's in Zoraida's beloved Star Wars, it's in her beloved Witcher, and all these properties is where (laughs) um, the, you know, race and ethnicity and culture tend to sometimes feel like they're painted on where when you scratch off that paint underneath is just the dominant culture, right? Dressed up. Yeah. And I don't like it. I don't, I, it feels lazy, but then people ask me how to, how to do it, how to fix that. And I have to think about what to do. And you do it really well in your worlds. Let's talk about it.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I do think that one thing that the Witcher and Star Wars have in common is that they are purposefully trying to uh, take the the human culture at least and make it more universal. And so they have this kind of colorblind casting, at least the recent Star Wars, um, where humans are humans and it doesn't matter if the actor is Black or Asian or white because they're human. And they have all these alien cultures to be contrasted against. And in something like Star Wars, which is so big, you know, you have this whole galaxy. It's a little bit easier to get away with, I think, because you don't get into anyone's culture at all. You know, it's just, it's it's these very um, big stories about um Very inherent, like archetypes and that kind of thing. And so I find it a lot easier to swallow with something like Star Wars, even when it is frustrating. But with something like The Witcher, which I also truly enjoyed watching.
1: It's
2: Why? betrayal. Listen, because it was sexy, Danielle. And I he think. He has leather get, pants. You can get away with a lot when things are sexy. And the very first episode of The Witcher um, has some of the best. Immediate characterization that makes me interested in what is going on in that world. And even though the character that I liked the most from that first episode was killed in the first episode, the relationship that the Witcher and the, the I don't remember her name, um, the relationship that they developed and the way that magic worked between them, Basically, fed me enough to you know rocket me into the next like four or five episodes until I cared about the characters enough, and that's the real reason I enjoyed it was the characters, not the world. The world was a disaster,
1: a disaster, <laughs> yeah, a capital D, a disaster, disaster. Like it's I everything really... I hate in <sighs> one place.
0: I feel like a lot of our listeners have have heard us, you know, talk about The Witcher for so long and I saw a recent like they're they they gave Netflix gave like a tiny a uh, hint that things are moving for season 2. Um oh and I'm actually interested to see because like I I was actually warned away from the books by a couple of people because the race stuff is a lot messier or more stereotypical, but that's, like, not – I haven't read them, so I can't actually speak to that. Um, but I, I wouldn't also I, – like, I also wouldn't say, like, that's unbelievable, right? Um, I I don't disagree with Danielle. I agree with you, bro. Look,
1: I'm just – But scared. I also need my fantasy trash. I know we need trash, but if we just talk about it, like, when we think about the industry and what kinds of things get made, I'm like, right. good lord. You know what I mean? Like this is a mess. But if we just I mean, look at the mess, let's look at the mess right. because a lot. Let's of look people, at the mess, right? So we have people repeat these patterns. They do mm-hmm. the same stuff. Yes. The indigenous esque people um, are in the woods with no clothes on, right?
0: right. Usually, or, or like. like like uh, they they use like um, they have even even if they're not black they have dreads so like I yes. love seeing white women with dreads that's always fun
1: <laughs> right it's it's always a good look yeah. um, and then you've got the sort of it, it's it's interesting to think about what kinds of things keep showing up in the lazy world building of many secondary worlds and then what feels strange to me right so the accents in that show felt absurd. Uh, to me it was very distracting I had to watch with the subtitles on because I couldn't me like, too oh.
0: I definitely watched with the subtitle I watched I, I the, the week that it came out I watched this show from beginning to end three times because only eight <laughs> episodes so I watched it three times in a single week and then when I watched it with the subtitles on the second time I enjoyed it I enjoyed it the first time, but like my enjoyment of it just became so much more.
1: And see, Mm -hmm. the world is what I'm here for. And I know a lot of people love character, right? I do love character, but if I'm coming to a secondary world, I'm coming to see what's all around, right? So Mm -hmm. I find I get nitpicky about quite a few things. And if we're talking about race and ethnicity, one, it's sort of the same trope. We've got the indigenous or black-coated people. Um, they have a certain, certain, certain iconography, always. I'm like, can someone write people in a jungle, or in a forest that have different kinds of technology? right, and I got into it about it, because I said, why? Why does it always have to look the same? The, yeah,
0: it's always the jungle, it's always the huts. There the hut. a group of, yeah. I was actually bothered by, like, the group of women, because, like, it it, it was, spoilers, if you haven't watched the witcher and if you're planning on it this is a spoiler um (laughs) for a year i know but i I just like people can skip ahead if they want uh so there's there's a group of black women who are from a different part of the kingdom and they're essentially like the dora Malaji version of you know for the witcher uh and they're they're following along this like old white man who has this knowledge Right. And I think that what the episode was supposed to be is like they think that they're being clever by um, having these this group of like strong black warriors. They look straight out of Wakanda, honey. honey.
1: Yes. Straight out of Wakanda.
0: And they are um, they say that, oh, he's so beautiful. He is this thing. Right. And it's alluding to the fact that the man is a dragon is actually a dragon shifter. Um, And then they they fall off a cliff and they die for him. And that's the part of that i had a I had a problem with because I'm like this is the only time we see these women and this other culture, and we're we- we witness them die, obviously they come back to, like they they're not actually dead, the right. dragon save them, and then they come back for you know the 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 climactic fight um and we discover that the man is a, the white man is a dragon, but like it felt like thinking you're clever and it felt like it belonged in the 90s almost right like like an episode of hercules
2: that is um why so this is this is colorblind casting right where a show is actually not invested in world and that at the core that's the problem you know they're invested in the characters and the actors and making money and the world is fine but that's all it is and so when they they make these casting choices and they make these writing choices about who they're going to cast as non-white characters that's how they're thinking about it non-white characters and so it's always still centering the white gaze uh partly because the you know the original content creator and you know probably The producers and directors, and certainly the production company and the audience that they're thinking about are, you know, the white people, the people who they think matter on Netflix, you know. And so, on a world building level, they're not thinking about culture, they're not thinking about how different peoples interact, they're not thinking about international politics, they're thinking about the white gaze of their audience and how they can introduce um, non-white characters because that's what they're supposed to do now is ah. introduce non-white characters, and so who can they make not white? Who is cool? You know, who right. is um, going to have at least an interesting arc? Maybe you know, so that kind of thing. The very the decision making process. Is focused on the white gaze.
0: Right. You had two of the magicians, were like one was, uh, oh my God, Yennefer. So Yennefer, Mm -hmm, the mage girl, and uh, she was having an affair with that other wizard, uh, mage. Right. Excuse me.
1: Uh, (laughs) Excuse you. This is supposed to be your damn show. I, I love mean, this I the show, okay. I okay. do love show. Well, I just- It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. <laughs> uh,
0: Mage. Maybe I just haven't watched it in a while. It beca- Donyella,
1: okay? <laughs> <laughs> and now then, that I have uh, such a gratin back
0: right. What's his name? He was black. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean, mean anything. anything. There's no cultural... There's no cultural um, differences between the different mages. And I think that there would be in real life. And I wonder if it's like people say that we can't separate, like when it comes to fantasy, we have to separate the real world and the fantasy world. But I believe that we're all bringing our own baggage, right? We're bringing, bringing our cultural baggage, our beliefs, um and th- and and so like why is it okay to have light sexism right in in a fantasy world but it's not okay to discuss race
1: mm-hmm. this is this is my issue right here i'm yeah. wondering if the template for all things fantasy and the way that we understand fantasy in the western canon is a white template right and so everything yes. else is an aberration from that and thus for me when you just do colorblind casting and you create a world where it is colorblind, for some reason, my brain, I cannot compute. I literally cannot connect unless you actually make the texture of someone's body, hair, world, food mean something. Yes. And I don't know how to engage with the world without that. Right. I don't have well, the freedom. And
2: so much because when you're, so with secondary world fantasy, you always have to have touchstones for communication because you, ha- you do have to talk to your audience. So like on a very basic level, we're all writing and you know whether it's for TV or books, we're writing in English. And so on a certain level, you have to be writing your world and your characters through the lens of what is possible with the English language. And so, like you have these cultural touchstones, and in many ways, with particularly commercial fantasy and the stuff that makes it big enough um, to be you know made into TV shows, the amount of cultural touchstones is massive. you know, so it's like 90 percent stuff that your average American will recognize, and then only 10 percent strange fantasy stuff Mm. because that's how you make it commercial, you know, and the farther away you get from that 90% or what, you know, whatever it is, I'm just making up these numbers, the more work you have to do and the more specific it gets and the less commercial it gets because commerciality and specificity have almost nothing to do with each other beyond that, like very small 10% middle ground. And so that's where we're expecting these big properties to do all this work. And they just can't because their priorities are, are, I hesitate to say wrong because I too would like to make money. (laughs) 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 But you know what I mean? Like you, everyone works. So as authors, we work with different Boundaries of what kind of specificity versus what kind of commerciality am I willing to um, give up or donate to create a balance of a book that my audience will respond to, and hopefully it will be, you know, a bigger audience than 10%, which right. is like that's re- it's, it's really hard, and um. You know, it's so rare for big properties to push past that 10%. And that's why when they do, you have a huge response to it. When they do that and they're successful, there's a huge response to it. You know, like like with uh, something like Black Panther, for example. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because the analog is so strong, right? Right. And we can feel it. And even though there's vibranium and there's all this other stuff, we can understand what Wakanda represents. The iconography, even though foreign to many, has enough parallel that we can access it. Right. Right. But I'm trying to think of a secondary world fantasy with really good analogs that sort of take on some sort of shape. Right. That work.
0: i I really enjoyed this year uh a song of Wraiths and ruin um I thought that Roseanne Brown did a really great job at creating analog and i am and, and as an outsider, I don't know which countries she was referencing, but the fantasy cultures that she created. Had such incredible like they were incredibly defined
1: on their own that i didn't need to know what the analog was mm-hmm. and see I, I just... recognize the analog only because i have I have experience with the people that she's writing about right and writing from. Mm-hmm. however, she did something very clever. she talks about this quite a bit in in her maps. she said that when she was creating her world, she thought about where is the the equator in every fantasy world north. Means cold, right? Mm -hmm. It means snow, it means ice, like in all of these secondary worlds. And she said, but what happens when the equator and where your people are look different, right? And she reoriented her map so that all of those cardinal directions mean something different for her world, thinking of Africa as center.
2: That's so important to Mm -hmm. rethink, to like shake up your foundational thinking as a writer. And yes. make yourself, make those choices instead of realizing halfway through that you've made a bunch of assumptions
1: mm-hmm. about what and how right. those cultures come to be. Right. No, I definitely, I love that, that book. And it was a hate to love and enemies to yeah. love. Yeah. All the yeah. good tropes. All the <laughs> good, All yeah. of the tropes. And
0: the whole- you know, it was like, they both have
1: to kill each other um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or get each other.
0: um. Okay
1: but the world was interesting because you know me I'm a world person mm-hmm. so now, it, it is honestly of
0: out of the books that I've read this year that is like goes to the top of my of my world building
1: mm-hmm.
0: um one of, of one of the the books that I read for that I was like I kept reading because I was like this world is really interesting uh the magic is very interesting and I hadn't really seen it used uh, in, in that very specific way before. Uh, so that would be one that I I would think
1: of. The year of the witching is another one where world, you think it's familiar, right? It feels very much like Salem Mm -hmm. or in like our small sort of new England and this puritanical place You think you recognize it in a dark wood, right? And what is in the dark wood? So she takes some familiar things that you think you know, and she pushes them to a different place, which I found really bloody and terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't stop reading that book. And so that to me, I'm like, okay, just one more chapter. I'm stressed. (laughs) Uh, You know, like just one more, one more, one more. And I was like, oh, hot damn, she got me, right? Because I thought I knew what she was doing. Uh huh. Oh, that's it's, such a good feeling. It's, it's like horror and also like the magic and all of that where I'm like, I, I know what you're doing. And then I'm like, oh shit, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, you got me. Nice, nice. And uh, that kind of world building was interesting to me. And yeah. she dealt with race. Mm-hmm. Is this just something I need? Is this a me problem and not a world problem is what I'm trying to figure out. Like, there are very few,
0: I feel like, white authors, or maybe just like authors in general, but like who pay such close attention to the way race works in fantasy. Like, I feel like I always go back to Tessa and to Kate Elliott, and mm-hmm. uh and and it's just like a very specific thing I've noticed. Where all the other fantasies that I've read, I feel like it's just like, like I just read a fantasy, an adult, quote unquote, new adult. It's not really new adult; it's adult fantasy where. The men are all described as being tan or have having had a tan if they didn't live in like underground. Um, but all the women are white, but like the guys are like light skin, but there's no race, right? It's not a race. Like being tan tan is not a race. <laughs> uh, and tan is not an ethnicity, it's not a culture. And so like, like I keep reading books like that, um, where it is a white protagonist, female, and then uh a guy who is lightly tanned but not but it's never deeper than that
2: yeah that's a very victorian um, uh gender thing where women How? Were, like
0: wasn't everybody pasty
2: right but the ideal was that you know a man like a strong man could be out in the sun like riding a uh, horse or you know doing whatever men are supposed to be doing you know i would right chopping wood right um definitely not actually farming but maybe supervising the farming I whereas like you know the women always had their umbrellas and everything so that that dichotomy that specific gendered dichotomy oh. of the very pale uh wayfisher woman and then the suntan specifically suntanned hero is mm-hmm. a very victorian romantic
1: um, Cause
0: I always go crazy okay. when I hear that, that, that description. I'm like, do you mean Italian? Do you mean Latino? Do you mean Greek? Like, what do you mean? Right? Yeah. yeah. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal in that, principle, in that, that, oh, that don't movie? don't bring him of up in principle. Of like in Persia? Don't do like, that.
1: Don't do like, that. What are you talking about? They <laughs> made him brown. They, they, they make gave him, him a that.
0: can. That's what I, like every time. Like an author is like, he had a tan, but doesn't specify a culture. I'm like, it's Jake Gyllenhaal and the Prince of Persia. (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) They put him in like an easy bake oven for 15 minutes. And that's what came out.
2: (laughs) Well, I think part of the problem is the lack of like contrast, the lack of comparison. You know, if someone is described as being tan and it's just because they're the hero, then you have nothing to ground that in. But if someone is tan compared to this other person, you know, and depending on the like the nuance of the line, does that suggest, you know, a difference of parentage or where they come from? Or is it just that one is a farmer and one is, you know, uh, from parliament or whatever? <laughs> But like, that's what so much writing is, is compare and contrast characters and descriptions and also cultures. And that's one of the reasons that this kind of like colorblind world building is inherently bad because it doesn't allow for or even ask for comparison. And at the end of the day, that's what Different cultures are like the way we differentiate between cultures. The way we make up national borders is drawing a line between here and there, Mm -hmm. the line between who makes, you know, bread from wheat and who makes bread from barley. And you could make two entirely different cultures that are hundreds of years old based on these people on this side of the river grow wheat and these people on this side of the river grow barley. You know, and like that kind of it, there has to be that compare and contrast, and that's what's missing in colorblind casting and colorblind fantasy worlds. And it feels like a step forward when you have um, like white authors introducing non-white characters to their uh, to their books, but at the end of the day, they're just white characters with brown skin. And a different sounding name. And there's not actually any like contrast there. And that's what's missing from these things because the world building isn't there. There is no world building.
1: There's like no consideration for any of it. And that's where I am like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, I just, I would rather you not include it than to paint the roses red, right? And to have it be a circle level thing. And that's why. You know, shows like The Witcher, which I'm going to badger, always bother me until they actually develop culture. They develop the cultures of these places, right? Why do these people have these accents? Why do they dress the way they do? What You know what I mean? Why is that? And I want to see some unexpected choices. I want to see, you know what I mean, that the people in the wood don't have on leaves, right? Right, right. Because in Tolkien's wood, his elves don't have on leaves. <laughs> but we have the brown and little leaf brooches, brooches. But do they have leaves across their body parts? No, <laughs> right? Are they using wooden spears and have like villages? Or do the elves don't have it? They have literal like beautiful ass homes, kingdom in that wood, right? I want to see some more ingredients of fantasy remixed in ways that don't fall on the same tropes. Yeah. Especially when it comes to people of color and their inclusion into secondary world. Do we have to all be from the jungle and it be hot? No, no. However, you can like, you can do more. I guess that's what, and that's yeah, why that, I think, yeah, you can do more.
2: Yeah. And you should, that's the point of fantasy and science fiction is to do more and do better and have a wild imagination
1: and I think that's why, and this is right, is about to scream. <laughs> Star Wars just doesn't do it for me. Um, there's a lot to love. I, you know, I love little baby Yoda. I love some of the planets and stuff. But we're so far out in space that speciesism, right, is what the issue is. And it lacks culture because I'm like, what is if you are humanoid in the Star Wars universe, whose default culture are you practicing, right? And to me, it doesn't feel like mine. So my big question when it comes to the Star Wars universe, and one of the reasons why I can't get down with it, is where are the black people and the Latinos? (laughs) Where are they in Star Wars? because I can't find their cultural iconography in any of the humanoid species that exists in the Star Wars universe. Star Wars fans, come for me. Educate me. Let me know (laughs) where they at. I mean, I just don't think it's there.
2: And I think partly that's because that's not a Star Wars priority. Star Wars is uh, very generic. And that's one of the reasons, like, overall it works. And then the specific parts work very well for the people that they speak to, but not for others. That, I think that's a reason that it works very well as a big franchise because different people can like different things. You know, one person can love The Mandalorian and another person can prefer the movies or the the cartoons and that kind of thing because they all have different agendas. And um, as a whole, it is just very like slapdash kind of world building. And that probably is me. I mean, like, if I was if I was writing something in Star Wars, I'm sure that there would be a lot of rules about what I could and couldn't do for world building. So um, maybe it's unfair to say slapdash, but that's the way that it ends up seeming, because there is no culture. You know, and every once in a while you get a little window into a specific planet, but that is divorced from um anything that we would consider to be a specific um earth culture like our actual cultures or queer culture or black culture right. or latino culture anything like that and so on one level they can get away with that because it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but there will always be a lack of connection for a lot of viewers or fans for
0: the same reason. Yeah, I think that, so when it comes to Star Wars culture, I don't think that there's no culture. I think that what actually happened was, is George Lucas was influenced by a lot of Asian, South Asian, East Asian um, iconography movies um and you see it in the Jedi, right? The Jedi's are space samurais and you can't get away from that. You can't have Latinos in you can't have Latinos in Star Wars because there's no Latin America in Star Wars. But I
1: like Latin America and I like, I like the- Latin America too. Okay. I love Latin America. So I wanna see it. I wanna see myself. But can't
0: have the reason why, but like because it the the cultures are are influenced by the planet. On Tatooine, you have people that live in the desert and they wear very specific kinds of garbs. I feel like that is... People who have survived in the desert on sand dunes are not historically white people okay, but, but in well, star wars they are and i think that's that's where we get they like, don't, like we can... they don't have a culture
2: though zoraida they yes just they do. They're, they're, settlers, they're, settlers. they're settlers but we don't know what their holidays are mm-hmm. we don't know what their gender roles are other than basic western american gender roles like we don't know these things that so i do think recently star wars has pushed more into that like when Mm -hmm. they introduced more about the sand people in this current season of the mandalorian you Mm -hmm. know they they introduced the sand people's language more specifically and more about how they live and how they hunt and how they interact with the human i mean i don't know if they're like i don't know how humans got on tatooine if they're refugees or colonizers or whatever they were
0: So the way that most humans arrive on a planet is that is the same way that, uh, you know, Columbus arrived somewhere, they just show up and they're (laughs) like, here's, I discovered this (laughs) way. That was a great episode. Because
2: it actually delved into cultural relationships between the hu- mostly human populated town and the Sam people, the indigenous people, presumably. I assume the mm-hmm. Sam people are indigenous to the planet, but like right. and then how they mutually have fought over and then communicate and deal with this local um, tr- traumatic event, the tr- the dragon thing. Like, so those kind of moments are what introduce culture into Star Wars. And those are the, I think, the best episodes because Mm -hmm. they really give you world and character because it forces the characters you're interested in to engage with their own world and new worlds at the same time. But I think that's a really, like, really giving into that is a very recent uh development in star wars since yeah. the original because i do think and i know i know a lot of people hate the ewoks but i think
0: that's the last time they star wars really did that yep was right i mean when i was little when i was little i used to think that the ewoks were ecuadorians because they're made up language uh they have they they just walk around being like chu cha choo cha <laughs> and i'm like and that is a curse word in ecuador that is like saying uh Expletive!
1: Expletive! <laughs> uh, I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know where that was going.
2: Well, that I mean, that was my favorite thing about Star Wars, and you know, at the time I was four, so I liked them because they were teddy bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm. as I grew up, that remained my favorite, and I think partly because I am, you know, I love world building, and that's what I'm most interested in in the stories. And even though, uh, you know, I I don't. I think maybe Empire Strikes Back is more character compelling. Return of the Jedi is the one that I always go back to over and over again because of the conflict, the cultural conflict of the different um you know the the rebels have to engage in various cultures and they don't get to win they don't get what they want until they learn how to engage with that culture whether that culture is jabba the hutt's underground or the you know the ewoks culture on endor that's mm-hmm. how they get what they want is by right. actually learning the rules of the culture there you know fighting against or
0: with
1: and that's I what i need i need an anchor and that's all yeah. of that's like the thesis like i need an entry point and an anchor i understand that i
0: just think that i think that when it there there's actual world building and this is not fair um and that world building i think exists in the star wars novels
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: which is not fair to the everyday star wars fan who walks into a world like look at If we look at the rise of Skywalker, they go to, um, they go to this planet, um, where Kylo's, you know, chases everyone to this
1: planet. Don't bring him up. We're going to get dragged the
0: whole podcast. It's fine. Um, listening. It's fine. Look, look, this is this is the movie that made me like Kylo Ren. I'm sorry. I'm look, sorry. You're listening, every sorry. time
1: that word comes up, I'm like, we're being tracked.
0: Look, I'm afraid that like, I'm gonna say something wrong and like story group is gonna be like, actually, Zarita, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh but that's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So, you know, they go to this culture and then and then these people have these this these aliens to me, they're all coded as Hinduism, Indian Hinduism, mm. right? the beads uh the colors uh it feels like a like a holly so ce- holy celebration right it's a holly um and but they're still aliens right they're not they didn't get like a bunch of indian people uh practicing their religious beliefs in it. to me that's that was the coding uh
1: mm-hmm. but it was given
0: to an alien race not to a group of people And maybe this is uh, why i don't
1: write a science fiction I can't go that far in the future. I, my imagination oh, will not. A, it doesn't matter. Ago. It doesn't matter. A long, time ago, long time ago, but like Alice not. Whatever. Whatever. It's not an hour. It's not even close to our time frame. Okay, I can't right. do it. Mm-hmm. I don't. My imagination has limits. Listen, Oh my god! I should um, have never brought up Star Wars.
0: So <laughs> you have. We're gonna move on from this in two minutes, but we have like you have. Look, okay. See, you can't even get. You can't even get it out. Okay, because I forgive Star Wars for this, but at the same time, you have planets like uh, 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 Alderaan.
1: Where? What is that? Nobody knows what that is.
0: Alderaan is where Princess Leia's from. It's the one that got blown up in the first
2: movie, so we don't know anything about about it. Nothing
0: about it except we learn about it later on. And the thing is that, like these like the cultures in space have to look different from the cultures on earth. But it is both a fallacy and, um, and an exaggeration of culture. Because on one hand, we are mimicking things like samurai culture and like all of these different influences. But at the same time, we are stripping culture out of things and and just putting people of color on them, right? Like Jimmy Smith's Princess Leia's stepdad. That means that Latinos exist in Alderaan. Daniel Jose Older in his book, Last Shot, was like, Alderaan is Latinos in space. It's canon now. Uh, And I agree with that. And when I was writing my Star Wars novel, I coded everyone as Latinx, even though there is no Latin America in Star Wars, but I still had to do it because it felt the most natural to me. And I still try to create a culture within that. But it's almost impossible because there's almost no racial human culture when you have humans as a species. Oh, God. Look, I do I do think that
2: that is the kind of work that particularly in... Something like Star Wars that is so huge. It's really important to introduce that kind of coding on one level just to get people who are resistant to it, white people who are resistant to it, less resistant to it. You know, that is part of the overall process of opening up these kind of worlds, is incrementally making these spaces a little bit less white so that a new you know book or movie or whatever can come out that is way less white and can be commercial and can be successful and i, I mean i do think that on that level that level of like commerciality it has to be incremental because if you look at in the most recent star wars trilogy of just the movies um the most specific movie was the middle one because they introduced that culture the war culture they were like this is what this war is doing to the galaxy and here are the rich people who don't care about it and like all these kind of the more details were in that movie about the you know the 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 island planet where Luke was, where he was, you know, milking whatever those things were for his Ew. drinks, Isle like, of sirens, right? And like then it. the the nun creatures whose houses they were, and the then that like spectacle of the war profiteer planet. The more specific that that movie got, the less people liked it. Those are the things that people complained about the most in that movie, aside from the like Kylo Ren stuff, which has nothing to do with world building. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So like on a on a certain level, Star Wars doesn't have a choice about its incremental world building and forcing spaces for you know making Alderan Latinx in space. You know, and that's great. And what, you know, that's all the room there is for that because on a fundamental level, Star Wars was created in 1970-whatever from a cishet white American gaze. Mm -hmm. And the foundations are there. And so everything that comes after that has to maneuver within these cornerstones of the original world building. Right.
1: And I find and it overwhelming. Just, it, absolutely.
0: It overwhelming. It is, it, it's absolutely overwhelming to think about like every, you know, we, we get so excited when Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal and Jimmy Smith's and, you know, John Boyega and Kelly Marie Tran and, All of these people get to be part of Star Wars. But at the same time, it's, could anyone else play these roles? Right? And that's... Yes. If you have a cultural tie, the answer is no. But because it's Star Wars, and Star Wars has sort of broken its own rules, um, because of what Tessa just said, it becomes so much more complicated. And I think that as fantasy writers... I think about this all the time. Could someone else be cast in a very specific role unless I do my job in coding it the yes. way it needs to be coded? Yes. yes. I, I think that is
2: really it right there is, you know, I I think I was saying earlier that there is a place book for colorblind casting, which is really what we're talking about with this, the Star Wars movies um because there are these cultural touchstones that it's important to break down the white supremacy baked into them
1: and mm-hmm. that
2: is one of the only ways that you can successfully do that with something like Star Wars but like when i'm sitting down to write my own book or any really any author is sitting down to write a new book that's kind of irrelevant because we're not writing that if, if, you know, I sit down to write a brand new secondary world fantasy, I need to resist the expectation that everything starts with white supremacy. Like that is the inherent problem with so many fantasy novels that I read is the foundations are assuming Western white supremacy, and thousands of years of it. And that's partly because authors, especially uh, authors who are writing YA in particular, because YA is such a young genre, haven't read enough books by people who aren't white Americans, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, is You, Everyone needs to spend years reading books that are written from a different gaze than centering white supremacy, because that's the only way that you'll even begin to learn how to shift your own inherent
1: biases away from that center. And I really think learning what different worlds look like when coded when, it, when it's coded and not catering to you. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's what I think a lot of people who read YA don't know how to do. They don't know how to write that. They don't know how to engage with material that is not coded to make yes. you comfortable and feel like you know what's happening. So therefore, right. inaccessible. Oh, I didn't get it. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, there's no space for me in, in this world, or you can't find yourself some fantasies that
0: i've loved a lot um uh l penelope wrote a uh, song of blood and stone and i think that she did a really great job at creating cultures within her fantasy world um and she did create that like warring kind of culture mm-hmm. right and i think that in fantasy we have this um there's this this almost like predisposition to have warring cultures. Um, and so it's like the story doesn't always have to be that, right? It doesn't always have to be like, we're leading into war. We're going on these things. Like these are two rival societies. Um, uh, but but I think that L. Penelope's book, uh, Song of Blood and Stone is one that did that really well. Um, also, uh, Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez. It's the first book that I've read that talks about sort of the conflict in the Andes, you know, the um, the author is from Bolivia, uh, or her, you know, her parents are from Bolivia, and she understands what that Andean culture versus the conquistadors like what that's like, and it's not pretty, right? It's not pretty. And she doesn't sugarcoat it. And the heroine doesn't have likable opinions but her journey is one of of like understanding somebody else's culture but at the same time it's like I would like to see more fantasies that don't have anything to do with the like a western colonizer Mm -hmm. I mean mean, that's where I want fantasy uh to move away from or if we want to use that analog how do we do it differently like
1: Rebecca Roanhorse's new book, Black, Black Sun, Sun. Black Sun. Yeah. It's it is so
2: good. So good. good. on so many levels. Um, the book, it's actually a duology that I always have to recommend for this, um, is uh, the only books by N.K. Jemisin that no one has ever read. <laughs> um I mean, obviously a lot of people have, but their, her duology, the dream blood duology, Mm, the killing moon and the shadowed sun. And the world building is the best I have absolutely ever read. And everything about the characters and the conflict comes from the world. And there is, as far as I can tell, absolutely no, um, Western or white gaze on any of the foundational levels of this duology. It is just absolutely fantastic. And anyone who wants to learn about world building should read that duology.
1: And study it's just incredible. It. Mm-hmm. And study, I really feel like thinking about what is communicated. Yes, How do exactly. you know what things look like? Right. How do you know what how to feel about certain things yes and the the politics Mm
2: -hmm. are so complicated but the way that she presents them like makes complete sense because she's presenting them through the characters you know and what characters want and don't want um and the other the other person who has great world building um examples martha wells has Mm. two series from the last several years that do Opposite kind of world building, and so she has the Roxura series and the Murderbot series and the Roxura which series. Which one with
0: the big? Which one's the one with the big, like uh, winged creatures? That's the Roxura.
2: So it's a, it's a secondary world fantasy where there are no humans on this entire planet. So all of the characters are inhuman. I mean, it's easy to call them monsters, but You know, for themselves, they're just people. And so the world building is elaborate. You get so many lush details about the different kinds of people and the different politics and how all the roles, like all the gender roles and like racial markers and things like that, are so unique and different. And then the murder bot is sci fi and it's incredibly. Uh, simple and elegant. And she only gives you world-building details. I mean, maybe like every couple of pages, but on the other hand, it feels like you're constantly learning things about the world. But if you put those two things next to each other, they're written by the same person. (laughs) And like, it's such a good lesson in here are different ways to world-build without Without white supremacy um and without like focusing on um the 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 kind of analogs that we rely upon, which can be very important i mean i I use analogs a lot in my work because that's such a good way to communicate what you're trying to do mm-hmm. but um those those two, and then the dream blood duology by n k jemison. I would say, like, if you read those four books and study those four books, you will just get better at world
0: building. I was really interested in reading the Roxura books. Or she was a
1: trash for that winged being. Yeah, because I'm a trash for winged
0: being. And it was like, just like the part of me that wanted to have sex with Goliath from the- What uh, is uh, wrong with the
1: Gargoyles? Why do you do this? Why are you like this? It's okay. I, do I, you know. I
2: also want to have sex with Goliath.
1: So. It's just like maybe we're just monster fuckers. Like, that's just that's what it is.
2: Like, true.
1: I just, my friends are very strange. And <laughs> it's a perfect bridge to also switching from talking about race and coding in worlds and also queering our worlds. And also, oh, yeah. Of- oh, my God. <laughs> right you did it yourself you let's
0: do it let's do it i'm gonna have to i'm gonna
1: cut a little bit of our star wars conversation <laughs> so that we can make more room for our queer conversation yeah because you went down the rabbit hole it's wars. your fault no it's not you get really in a zone you get in a star wars zone all of you guys get in a fog it's like you're like it's, oh my god Triggered Star Wars. It's so hard to break free of the Star Wars zone. (laughs) I I like whenever I'm in when we used to be at festivals and stuff, I would be like, Oh, don't say that word. You say that word, and then all of the like, like, oh, who said it? I have thought. (laughs) Oh, Oh, and then all the arguments start. And I'm like, this is a fucking cult. The fucking cult. Part of it is also because.
2: It is, it's like how I was saying earlier, we have to write in English because we have to communicate. And Star Wars is something that almost everyone is at least vaguely familiar with. So you can use it so easily to communicate (laughs) what you are and aren't trying to say, whether you think it's good or bad or okay, or sometimes good and sometimes really boring with terrible pacing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like yeah. the Mandalorian. <laughs> Don't say that. You've just triggered Zoraida. Like, going to have,
0: I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. Okay. Yeah. Just, um, I'm okay. anyway okay.
1: the two, you two monsters talking about freaking winged bees. Monster being. fucking? Right. Yeah.
0: But let's talk about. Maybe that's why I like the other book that I just read, even though I hated it at the same time. But keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. Oh my God.
1: Um, <laughs> Talking about queering worlds. Talking about. Um, gender and sexuality and who we love and um, power structure and all of these values, all of these things that are in the foundational earth of these secondary worlds or in these features and all of that. Another reason why Star Wars bothers me. Um, it, I don't. Look, <laughs> just saying. How do we do it? What are some worlds? I can't name a world that has been translated to film and TV where I could say that, oh, it's a world that has, that has been queered well. Mm-hmm. And where queerness isn't a thing of violence, right. Or aberration or like Game of Thrones, it's it used as like titillation.
0: Right. Like uh, speaking of Pedro Pascal, when we go to, when we go to Dorne, mm-hmm. right. Like we think the cultures of Dorne, everyone loves an orgy. Yeah. Right? It's
1: uh and spectacle. so spectacle. And
0: he right. It's spectacle. He's a golden skinned bisexual. Um and even though I think like Dorne is a place to, like, you know, like let's talk about I mean, I don't want to talk about racial coding again, but you know, here we go, right? Where the, the the sand people, they're not sand people, but like the sands, like that's like their bastard name, right? Um what are you talking about? And- <laughs> God.
2: I haven't watched that. <laughs> I, I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones when it aired, and I was like, "Oh, rape, rape, incest, racism, rape." I don't think I'll continue watching this thing. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fine. Game of Thrones, I got it. Pedro Pascal was in.
0: Yes, yes. We- Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal oh was in God. Game of Thrones. He was um. He was a prince of Dorne. Um. <laughs> I am and, losing all of my fantasy cred right now. Oh my <laughs> God. Please just, just like Google clips, like YouTube clips of him and Dorne. I'm losing my fantasy cred. I have stopped watching. <laughs> you love but it. Yes, you- the Prince Oberyn Martell, also known as the Red Viper of Dorne. And he has a spear and he spins it um, and he dies a gruesome, terrible death that haunts me um
1: you're just mad because he died and you thirst after him that's all yes
0: i'm mad because he died because this is when i met him okay except for when he was in buffy he was like season four of buffy episode one um and he also died in that episode <laughs> <laughs> such a stalker do you want to talk about stalking you love what's his name you I don't even know his name sure. you don't
1: even know his name you don't even know his name. He's the king He's of names. Are we talking game? about gays? We're talking about gays. And she keeps bringing up this man. You Cute. see who it is? See what's happening here? Right. Fire me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we're talking about queering fantasies and how I haven't seen <laughs> a secondary world fantasy whether you, that has actually done that.
2: Yeah I'm thinking I'm trying to think of one and having I mean I can think of books but not like big properties like media kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think more contemporary is getting into it Um, like actually queering storylines and casts and things like that partly because of what you were saying before about it being a little bit titillating so you can kind of have that um that window in but uh it's nice watching some contemporary shows when I genuinely don't know oh was that look a sexy look. Maybe it is. (laughs) Whereas five or 10 years ago, I would have known for a fact it was not a sexy look because it was between two people who present as the same sex. And so of course it could never be a sexy look. But now when I watch things, contemporary things, um, I have that question more often. But with fantasy and sci-fi, I think there's so much reliance on gender roles to make people feel familiarized with something whether you have dragons or aliens it's like well but you know you also have binary gender men and women and they do these things and that's the end and so there's that you know almost like a glass ceiling that has to be broken with fantasy and sci-fi before you'll get The real on screen stuff and you know, the big ones come so close. And then when people get excited about, uh, you know, Captain America and Bucky Bucky. or, uh, um, Cassie and Dean. That is definitely not what I was going to say. <laughs> I was, I was trying to think of the not ship name. I was like, you know, Storm Pilot, Poe <laughs> oh, and Finn. Right, Poe oh, and Finn. Like people get so excited about their chemistry, and then the franchise goes out of its way to no homo that. Like that mm-hmm. was that turned me off the level forever. When they, like, all they had to do was let me have the subtext. You know, (laughs) I would would have been happy if they'd continued giving me the Civil War, not Civil War, the one before that, the Winter Soldier subtext. But then in Civil War, they so blatantly and grossly no-homoed it that I was just like, well, you know, screw you. I don't owe you anything. And they didn't do that to quite that extent in Star Wars, but there were still some like, nudges toward it.
0: I think they did that worse in Star Wars because they created two human female characters for each Poe and Finn to be like, oh, no homo, like, he's gonna be with her, he's gonna be with her.
2: But it wasn't wasn't as blatant because it was, in Poe's case, it was his past. Like, it was his history. His ex. right? Right. Um... And, like, I am super down with Poe, the pansexual. <laughs> um, and then there was, like, who knew what was, was or wasn't going to happen with. Uh, the
0: unfinished character that yeah. was Jonna.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, I guess Lando's granddaughter or something. Don't <laughs>
0: start me on that.
2: No, because all black people are related. Of course. Yep, all black people are related in Star Wars. Uh Yep. But so, it was it was definitely there. And so mm-hmm. like, that's the kind of thing that I find the most frustrating is, you know, I'm really good as a queer person at reading subtext and then just like going to town with it. Yeah. Just don't ruin it for me with your canon. And that is mm-hmm. something that like media continually, continually does over and over again Is just forces no homo and uh, like cisgender, and that kind of like if a story isn't specifically about a trans experience, then it has to be strictly binary, you know, and that's just how it is. And you have these giant um worlds like um like Star Wars or even like The Witcher where they can literally change their bodies and. There is no room there for transgender people, like right. you oh have magic, and you can i mean sure, maybe it's painful, but so is the transgender experience, you know, like so all of these places have so much room for queerness in them, and they actively work against it right and that is what upsets me the most, obviously
1: it makes me wonder if. We are already thinking about what gets translated to film, thinking about things, books that rise to that commercial level that everyone starts reading, right? Mm-hmm. If there is space for a fantasy world that is queered deeply in its roots because of so much homophobia, transphobia, like queerphobia, okay. everything, that I don't trust people to give it a shot because we're
0: talking about we're talking about books outside of the like like in 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 the sci-fi world everyone knows gideon the ninth right like outside you mean outside of sci- the sci-fi right space right like into like the big commercial That's space. What I'm saying,
1: something that has boomed out and is translated right to all different kinds of media so that it travels mm-hmm. to, the, to the non-lover of sci-fi fantasy if there mm. are different ways to present fantasy and that's what I've been asking with race and now with queerness where none of the big tentpole properties that that have dominated and and been pushed forward include this yeah and I'm wondering why Hollywood as queer of a place that it is Mm -hmm. what are they afraid of why haven't we seen it yeah I you know there's just so much uh
2: so much homophobia And like transphobia in like white supremacy. Like it's the same Mm. problem. It really is all the same problem. And that is the both subtle and extreme um, like story that has dominated America in particular for its entire existence and is, you know, on the rise again, both um subtly and extremely and so you know that like it's almost something that you can't even touch if you're trying to be a commercial winner because that's where controversy lies you know that's one of the places that controversy lies and there are such different experiences of sexuality and gender and stories about sexuality and gender around the world. And, you know, we have more and more avenues to share those and experience those as, you know, we get different access to media from around the world, but that's still a choice. You know, that is still something that, you know, until Netflix has, you know, 60% of its stuff not American stuff or not, you know, like Swedish crime drama, um, (laughs) then, you know, where do you even, you have to actively seek these things out. And like, I, I feel like that is the, like part of the conflict is there's so much there, you know, so many examples that do these kind of world things right, or at least in different ways that maybe could be right, that, you know, I'm really excited to consume different ways of creating worlds with different, you know, cultural and racial markers and different queer markers. But it's so hard to get access to them unless something else about them makes them so wildly popular that they get on netflix or hulu or whatever and maybe the more of those there are the more uh places like hollywood will be willing to risk them but like at the end of the day hollywood and disney and like news corp and all these things are really conservative places Mm -hmm. exactly you know
0: they bow because they're quote-unquote family places but they don't make room for all families
2: like you have a place like Disney that has been you know on the ground on their like employee level have been one of the more uh, gay friendly corporations for you know decades Disney has been known as a pretty safe place to be openly gay but they still don't make gay movies. No. You know, so there's still yeah. such a divorce between what they do on the ground level and you know that's great. Like I'm not complaining that they rec- recognized domestic partnerships before gay marriage was legal. That's amazing. You know, I love going to Disney World and holding my wife's hand and not really being worried about it. Like I can do that in Disneyland easier than I can do it, you know, than I feel like I can do it in in New York or something, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a normal city, not like the Magic Kingdom. But, mm-hmm. you know, then they're they have all of these properties. Like they're both Marvel and Star Wars now, which are so like intensely no homo and it's, and why, yeah, right? it's so, I mean, I don't even want to say baffling because I do understand it. You know, there's a difference between what you do and what you say <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, it just, it just hurts and it just sucks. And that's why I think yeah. it matters for us to keep pushing to make worlds that are unique to non-white supremacist points of view because that's the only way to incrementally make it so powerful that this is what people want that eventually a place like Disney will like give in because they want to make money so all you have to do is prove that the way to make money is to let Finn and po kiss. <laughs> you
0: know that's really all you have right. to do no, absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um so I mean in how do we create worlds without that colorblindness and without like not homophobia but but like gender inclusive I, I think right?
2: how you do we have do to do it on purpose and I know that sounds really simple You're but right when it really comes down to it if you are making a secondary world i like i challenge all creators to purposefully so you have to you have to choose to do this intentionally so you sit down and when you are developing a world just do exercises with yourself like What if this world has three genders? What if this world has five genders? What does that mean? What if Mm. this, you know, this kingdom or whatever it is? Um, is actually a queendom. What does just changing that word mean for my world building? What does it mean if it's an oligarchy? What does it mean if it's a democracy? How did that happen? What if it's like literally go to these foundational things and force yourself to break down your assumptions? Like you have a lot of people start their books with, oh, I have this image I have this character, and then they build that character with assumptions. And when people say things like, This character popped fully formed into my head, what that actually means is that character popped fully formed from your cultural assumptions. And so, you know, it's not magic, it's your brain patterns. Building something based on what your brain knows and what your brain has learned since you were an infant about what is good and what is bad and what are gender roles and what are racial stereotypes. So anything that just pops fully formed into your head, you should question as an author and challenge it. You know, even if a character or a world or a magic system feels good, try doing it in a different way. And that will either give you a better way to do it, or it will teach you how to make your original spark more specific and more relevant. And then you'll be making a choice on purpose. Like, no, this world needs to have a kingdom for this reason. And it needs to have a binary gender system for this reason. And I'm going to choose to make the you know, the gender roles in this way or that way. And then you have to ask yourself questions like, where is the space for transgender people? Because there will always be transgender people. And if you don't build that into your culture, then that means that those people are living on the margins. And so what are those margins and how do they adapt to those things? And it's the same with uh, racial differences you know like why is your you know why is your world built this way why do certain neighborhoods I mean this is just like fundamental like city planning and things like that yeah. like read about how civilizations organize themselves because anytime there are strict um like neighborhood um you know, like diff- specific peoples live in specific neighborhoods. That is a reason. That doesn't just happen because um, every people who are familiar with each other stick together. Like that's part of it. But there's always going to be uh, something forced there laws or policing. Or, you know, trade routes, like all these kind of things and languages and who speaks what, like all these fundamental things that people just assume. And as soon as you start asking questions and challenging your own assumptions about why you're making these choices,
1: that will inevitably lead to better world building. And that's the hard part. That's the part nobody actually really wants to do. right? Right. And it's easier to do what everybody else is doing. And just confronts
0: things in your own culture that you don't want to talk about. That's
1: why you have to read widely.
2: That's why you Uh have to read books and not just fantasy books, but books that are written uh, from all around the world. Because if you, you know, a, a white kid growing up in America who is only given books by white people, reading a book by someone from Nigeria or a book from you know, someone from Thailand, like any of these things will teach you, um, about writing and about world building and like help you understand that the whole world is, is, is like relationships, you know, you have to read widely and by like every author you can get your hands on.
0: And it's so easy with the internet. That is it's true. It's so easy with apps like uh, Libby, which is uh, the library app, um,
1: which you can access with your
0: library card.
1: In summary, I feel like this is such a complicated topic. And it's one that, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about, and I'm just hoping and looking forward to new fantasy adaptations mm-hmm. to see how we're pushing. Yeah. What is Hollywood learn? You know, our buddy Lee has one coming in April of next year, of 2021, and I am curious to see how this world is translated. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And it's just been, I can't think of another secondary world fantasy from YA that's been translated. There was the Shannara Chronicles, which, uh last I mean, moment, Is that YA?
2: That wasn't. Yes. I mean, it wasn't? technically
1: it wasn't YA
2: because it's oh. too old. <laughs> oh, it was on MTV. So that's hard. Oh, the it was on TV MTV show shows. was
1: definitely like YA, but the books it was based on weren't. Okay. I can't think of any other secondary world fantasy from the YA space yeah. that's been translated.
2: I can either. We're probably missing something huge, but that's fine. I'm sure Twitter will tell us.
0: Are we missing something huge? I don't know. Not secondary I world, mean, though,
1: right? Not secondary world. However, uh, yeah. games is not. Considered. Not, that, not,
0: that, not that's been made right. That's yeah. available at this moment.
1: So we'll we'll see how. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, because yeah. it's
0: so expensive.
1: I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, but Ben Barnes said, you and I are going to change the world. And so we're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the, the trailer I'm about. ready. I don't go and says my, my body is ready. I'm ready for I the score. Ready. I'm ready for the score alone. I think the score is oh. going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. I want to see what this sort of, what this world looks like, um, because there are people of color in it. And I want to see right. how, it, how it is translated. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. If It goes really, really well. I feel like maybe we'll have space for a lot more, yeah, which would be amazing. So. And, um, and I think this is where we push, this is where we push all the mm-hmm. things in the fantasy space, yeah, because it, it should be the most open to it, yep, the most radical. Mm-hmm. And you know, thanks for joining us I'm and going, going down this rabbit hole me. with us in it. fantasy land. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime,
2: <laughs> I can send you links to the two world building uh, resources that I recommend the most. One is just Kate Elliott's blog, where she has gone in really in depth into world building sometimes, and then N. K. Jemison put up a brief world building like seminar that she taught online for free. And she goes through building a world from, like, the geography of the planet and weather up through culture and into, like, conflict. And it's so good. So I can send you the links for those two things to put at the bottom
0: or wherever. That would be great. The show notes. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Check out our ko our Patreon, and we will see you next week. Yay. Deadline City is part of the Frolic Podcasts Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.